Hello and welcome back to the Canon Cast, a Columbus Blue Jackets podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. Uh, I'm your host, PD, manager over at the Canon. I am joined tonight by Berkus Circus. Hi. Uh, yeah, so nothing much has happened. The Bruins uh, released new uniforms, which I like them. They're decent, not much of an upgrade. Uh, they're alternates kind of mid, but yeah, they're all right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we have to talk about. And we're also joined here by Dale Bloom. Dale, how, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm exhausted, PD. How are you? Yes. <laughs> exhausted <laughs> is a great way to put it. Uh, you know how they say, be careful what you ask for. And it had been a pretty quiet offseason, really, once we got past, you know, the draft and uh, all that. And, um, you know, so we didn't do episodes because we really didn't have anything to talk about. And I was looking forward to this week's episode for the return in the Canacast. I thought we'll be able to talk about Traverse City, the Prospects Tournament. How did Fantilli look? We'll be able to preview training camp, you know, talk about the line combinations and the position battles and all this stuff. Instead, what we're talking about is the sudden resignation on Sunday of Mike Babcock as Blue Jackets head coach. We are recording this on Sunday evening. So this is before the press conference happening on Monday where they're going to reveal Pascal Vincent as the new head coach and address the situation. Uh, This has come to a head pretty quickly uh, beginning on last Tuesday on the spit and chicklets podcast, Paul Bezanet brought up rumors that he had heard about uh, a meeting with Boone Jenner where Boone Jenner was had to like give his phone over to Babcock. So Babcock could like look through his pictures and see stuff about him. Uh, now, this was quickly denied by the team that released statements from Babcock, statements from Jenner saying like, no, this was just a get to know you conversation. In the course of the conversation, they just shared pictures with each other, that sort of thing. And Johnny Goudreau, Zach Wierenski, they confirmed that they had similar meetings. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a nothing burger. Bizonet heard this third hand, exaggerated it, whatever. And I d- generally don't trust Bizonet as a, you know, high-level journalistic source or whatever. And the fact that he was, like, threatening rape to anyone who disagreed with him uh, is another reason to doubt him. Uh, but the Players Association launched an investigation, and this escalated on Thursday. Marty Walsh, the new head of the PA, came to Columbus. Uh, he was joined by Ron Hainsey, who works for the PA now, former Blue Jacket, who played for Babcock in Toronto. They interviewed all the players in person. They met with the NHL on Friday to give their results, and we still don't have the full reporting of what happened. But over the weekend, the Jackets and Babcock came to an agreement uh, about him stepping down, uh, ultimately deciding that it was too much of a distraction at this point. It's something the team could not move forward from. This is yet another black eye for the franchise. Uh, Definitely saps some of the excitement that we had for the season. Also confirms a lot of our worst fears that we had when Babcock was being considered as head coach, when he was hired as head coach. We were worried that something like this could happen, maybe not this specifically, but that there was going to be controversy. And sure enough, uh, that's where we ended up. So, uh, Dale, I'll start with you. What uh, What is your take on this situation? Take it any direction you want to go here. There's a lot of aspects we can cover here. Is it safe to say that this is this franchise has been through a lot? Um, you know, mostly mostly yeah. bad. <laughs> is it safe to say that this is the most embarrassing day in in Blue Jackets franchise history? Is there is there one? Is there any that top this? 
Uh, maybe the unveiling of Boomer. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> unveiling of Boomer, Jeff Carter, and Gilbert Ule okay. are the only things even remotely in this ballpark. I don't think any of yeah. them top them. Yeah. What's frustrating more than anything is who out there thought this was a good idea outside of the offices at Nationwide Boulevard? The fans, a good chunk of the fans thought it was a bad idea. Um, the, you know, there's been several people that have come out um, today and in, in tweets have said they've talked to former current players, um, people across the NHL that were confused um, as to why Columbus would have made this move when it was announced um, not announced officially, but when word got out back in June. And a lot of us thought that something like this was a very good possibility at some point. I don't think anybody, any of us thought that it would happen this quickly. Um, and I think that you can kind of, you can kind of throw out what the specifics of what happened um, were. And, and I mean, I mean, I mean that this way, regardless of whether it was something egregious or whether it was something that was simple, um, maybe just some awkward conversations. Um, he didn't jive right with certain players. Maybe he made a request of a younger player that they didn't really like. Um, you know, maybe he um, was a little bit forceful with some of his requests. Um, you know, no matter what it was, there, there's this guy has a history. And we talked about it when when the announcement was made that why would you do this? You set yourself up for disaster. And it brings – Portsline touched really well in his article that came out um, this afternoon, Sunday afternoon, of what did they know and when did they know it? The front office. And in addition to that, why – why are we in this position where players were made uncomfortable and they had to go to spit and chicklets or maybe, okay, let me back that up a little bit. That may have been third party information. And I believe that it probably was third party information, but regardless, whoever these players were, they went outside the organization to talk about it. They right. didn't go to Boone. They didn't go to Zach. They didn't go to Goudreau. They didn't go to Yarmo. They didn't go to any of the assistant coaches. And that in and of itself, I think, is a huge concern and a major problem. There's there's obviously a, an issue in this organization. And that doesn't even go to talk about the fact that um, immediately they came out and, and did a counterattack with their PR saying, no, this didn't happen. These allegations are false. Um, you know, you you they, they essentially had their captain go out on a limb and stick out his neck for the organization and for Babcock. Um this is this is an utter disaster. It's a stain on this front office. I don't understand how you could possibly. It sounds like they're going to. I don't understand how you keep Yarmo and and maybe even JD in their in their current positions going forward. Yeah. So, uh, Berkus, uh, I want to ask you about one of the points there that Dale brought up, and it's about Boone Jetter. That yeah, he he had a statement that came out right away, right with Babcock's statement. Um, so the fact that he seemed to be defending Babcock there. The fact that, like Dale said, any players that had an issue with Babcock apparently didn't take it to Boone. Not only the captain, but he is also the union rep still, as far as I know. Uh, 
is this a problem for Boone Jenner as captain going forward? Is Do you think there's an issue in the locker room? Despite other reports that the team says, no, we're still all together, but uh, do you think that's an area of concern? I mean, it's hard not to. It's hard not to take the worst-case scenarios here because – at this point, honestly, at least regards to this situation, we can't believe anything coming out of the team. The team said that this was a non-issue, that this was just uh, Bessonette twisting it, that it was all fine, good team building, whatever. That was evidently not the case. Uh, the NHLPA uh, came out and said, let me see if I can find the thing. I have my Twitter open so I can kind of cross-reference stuff. Our players deserve to be t- treated with respect in the workplace. Unfortunately, that was not the case in Columbus, and the club's decision to move forward with a new coach is the appropriate course of action. Like, that coming from the NHLPA, like, the NHLPA is more of a nothing burger organization than the NHL is in terms of, like, actually taking action to protect its players and organizations. And, uh, yeah, players and organizations and whatnot. Um, so this is, like... The, how strongly the N, like the NHL and NHLPA have reacted to this is what kind of stands out to me. And I, part of that yeah. is that mm-hmm. people just in general don't like Mike Babcock. Um, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is that this is Bissonette probably has a large, aside from like maybe Chris Johnson and Elliot Friedman, Bissonette probably has like the third largest audience out of any like major NHL talking people. So like, the fact that uh, – so, yeah, this is kind of a work-run way of getting to it, but, like, you be, even if the if front office says everything's fine, and, like, if Boone says everything is fine, if any of the players say everything is fine, we can't assume that. We can't assume that to be true. Uh, I want it to be true. I hope that this team can move forward. I hope that this team can have success. They just dominated the prospects tournament, uh, except for when they rested all their good players. Uh but I mean, I can't see. Oh, Boone Jenner has failed as captain in this situation, like horrifically. Yeah, sure. Either he just was not in tune at all with what, like, I don't know the specifics, but like at least a sizable number for the PIA to take this action. He was not in tune at all with that. Uh, when he released a statement or he chose to ignore that when he made a statement. Uh, it doesn't really matter which, cause they're both like, they're both inexcusable failures. In my opinion, this is inexcusable failures from the top down from JD for Yarmo for Babcock, especially, but I honestly don't even know how much of a failure it is for him because like, this is what we all expected. And this is a failure for Ben. Okay. I just want to say real quick, it's it's pretty obvious that the the front office Yarmo JD didn't take seriously watching Babcock closely. Um, you know, you can say that he was trying to move on from his past mistakes. You can say he's a changed person. You can even go as far as to say he deserves a second chance. Whatever their excuse was for hiring him, was he put into situations where it was just him and players one on one? And if so, why was that allowed to happen with his history? You you couldn't have said, I want at least McCarthy or or uh, Vincent in the room 
yeah. at all times with with Babcock and another player, um, or at least another player, right? Sure. A leadership player, uh, one of the veterans with a younger player at all times with Babcock. Yeah, um, you know, it's just it's unbelievable to me that it got to the point where something potentially happened a month or, or more ago, um, and then you know nothing was ever said, nothing ever came out until you know later on. Um, and then all of a sudden we're without a head coach. It's just, it's a disaster from, from beginning to end. Yeah. And so I, I do want to address that. I'm glad you brought it up. The whole aspect of Babcock's history, his reputation and his second chance going forward. I know there's a lot of people out there who were appalled by the idea that he was being considered again for an NHL job. And I understand I understand why people felt that he didn't deserve another shot. I understand people that are just opposed to retreads in general. Like that's totally fair. That's something the league is obsessed with. Um, and I get why based on his history, Babcock does not deserve the benefit of the doubt. Like when this, there's something about the initial report that seemed fishy to me, but people are saying like, but it's Babcock. So like anything about Babcock could, could be, could be true. Um, but I was willing to give him a second chance. And one for one, it was just because, well, yeah, it's my team. I'm a homer and I really needed this to work out. I needed this team to be better. And we, we I, all did. The franchise did. Yeah. And he's a guy that like say what you will, but he does have a pretty good record as a head coach. And he was saying some things that got me excited as like, oh yeah, he actually understands like how we can play defense better and have a structure and all that. Um, but I, I, and I agree strongly in general in people getting second chances. But I don't think anyone is entitled to that. I think there need to be a few things that need to happen. And, and I do think that they were meant in this case. So, for example, one, there, you do need to spend some time away. You know, whether it's, you know, you committed a crime and you did your time in prison or if, you know, you got fired from a job, you need to spend, you know, not like, you know, so for like Joel Quenville, like if he's looking for another job, it's he needs to spend a little more time away from the NHL. But Babcock spent like four years away from the NHL. So that was plenty of time for him to reflect and learn and all that. Number two, contrition for what you did. Acknowledge what you did wrong. Now, some, for some people, what Babcock is saying about the past was not conciliatory enough, was not having enough responsibility for that. But there was at least an acknowledgement from him that some things had gone wrong and there are things that he could have done better. And then the step three is what are the steps are you doing to take it, make it right? And so I appreciated that he was giving at least a lip service to how things needed to be different and that communication with players needed to be improved. Uh, that he, the fact that he had spent a year helping out at the University of Vermont and a year head coach in the University of Saskatchewan. So he was working with young players and learning about working with players of that generation and how to communicate with them and, and what sorts of forms of communication work with them. So I was starting to get optimistic that he understood what he needed to do differently, that he had a new plan for doing things differently here in Columbus. And, you know, for the thing, when I thought it was just like, Oh, he's trying to get to know the players wants to see a picture. Um, you know, he's used it in the past as like an icebreaker with his coaches and stuff. Um, and I thought, well, that seems fine. He has to build a relationship with these players. You know, it can't just be, we're here to talk about hockey. Like you're spending so much time together at practice and the plane and all these. So you need to form a bond with your other coaches, your players, your teammates as, you know, as people, as humans understand 
what are their interests? What's their family situation? Things like that. Uh, but that's all reasonable to build that rapport and trust and all that. Um, and I get that Batpack's an awkward guy. He comes across as kind of prickly. He's not as maybe warm and fuzzy as Larson was, for example. And so I thought like, okay, well, he's a little awkward than some players just maybe didn't get a great first impression from him. But like, maybe that is that something that we can work through? Like, it seemed a little harsh that, you know, here it's his first meeting and it goes wrong and there's not a chance to make it right. But I think I've, the way that things have unfolded, though, I realize, and this sort of goes to something that Elliot Freeman had wrote about on, I think, Wednesday, which was, you know, the Jackets should have realized that any little misstep by Babcock was going to lead to a major controversy because so many people have such strong negative feelings about Babcock. And that is ultimately what has happened this week, too, is this has become such a big story. It is distracting everything else going on with this team that like there's no way forward because it's just going to suck all of the oxygen out of the room and be a massive distraction for the team going into the season. And, and we just can't have that. And we should have seen it coming because you know, it's, this is, it's just the way he is. It's just his nature that something else is going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen this soon. I thought it would be later into the season that he'd have a blow up or something, but yeah, it just, this was, I guess, in hindsight, was inevitable. I mean, yeah, and that's part, I think that was part of the baffling decision-making, like, on Yarmo and JD's part, because I don't think they can, like, if they hadn't, let's just assume that we were recording this yesterday night, before Babcock resigned, because that's kind of where I was been framing this. I don't think they considered like this outcome where Babcock does something relatively innocuous and social media still blows up about it because it's Mike Babcock. Like, I think they accounted for nothing happens. Babcock is a successful coach. We either make or come close to the playoffs and we win the cup in a couple of years. Like, I think they accounted for that. And I think they accounted for like, something terrible happens like a Mitch Marner, Johan Franzen type situation where case closed, he needs to be fired. Dunzo. And that's a relatively high risk, high reward proposition. And I could see Yarmo being willing to bet on that. I don't think they considered this outcome where he does something relatively minor, like ask to see someone's photos to get to know them. And someone's uncomfortable. Uh, and some of the younger players feel like it was a power move in a way. And then social media blows up on it. I don't think they considered that. I don't think they realized that everything that this organization and this coach did was going to be under a microscope because it's Columbus. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Like most of the time, no one gives a shit about us, but this was going to make people give a shit about us. This was going to make people look at everything and I don't think they were prepared for that, which is beyond concerning for me. And the other thing is, too, is that the reports are saying that Bob Babcock did this with Yarmo and JD as part of the hiring process. And, like, they said, and he said, like, the reports are saying 
he's done this for the past 15 years. Like, it, so I'm imagining he says, this is something I do to get to know people. Like, how did that not raise some red flags of, hey, this is a weird social thing that this coach known for weird social things is going to do in the first week. And they were not prepared for it at all. Yeah, I would just say, like, there's a there's a good chance that it was it wasn't the act of what he was doing. It was probably, and this is a complete guess. It was probably having to do with something he saw on one of the players' phones, mm-hmm. or one of the players said no, and he was a little forceful with it. Or yeah. maybe he berated a player for being uncomfortable with it. Or it's probably something along those lines, right? It probably wasn't actually just him asking to see pictures that caused the problem. So, yeah, and there, and there has been some reporting that it, it is possible that there was a case where he actually had the player's phone in his control and was going through pictures. And that is something I feel like, well, the other stuff of like, Hey, show me a picture. Like, I didn't think that was as big of a deal, but if he was actually like had their phone and was going through it, that I think is a violation that absolutely crosses the line. Um, and the other thing I didn't think was necessarily like, I think what he did with the front office in his interview was the thought stuff that he did, like Jack Hahn talked about as he, he did with the, you know, Toronto coaching staff, which was just, you know, Hey, everyone, you know, pick a picture and show it, you know, as a way of, you know, and it's like, Oh, Jack Hahn said, Oh, I show my family and like back up. It's like, Oh, and here's my, the pickleball court at my house or whatever. So like, and that's like, I can see how that could come across as awkward, but also like, a relatively harmless kind of icebreaker thing. But if he was, yeah, forcing someone like, Hey, I really need to see something from you or like, just give me your phone. That, that is definitely crossing the line. I think we need to make that clear. But I do think though, that with the front office, it may have been just the, Oh, just show me a picture. I'm going to show you a picture. And they assume like, Oh, he's going to do that. The players, that's not a big deal. Um, And I also think that there's a chance that, he treated different players in different ways. So I wonder if, you know, is it a case where he did the same thing with all the players and they interpret it differently where like, you know, Jenner and Lorensky played for Torts. So they're used to dealing with Torts' personality. Goudreau played for Daryl Sutter. These are also hard ass guys, kind of difficult to get along with at first, you know, uh, but the younger players maybe wouldn't have had that experience and would not take it in the right way. Um, but the other concern I have, and again, it's something that I think would cross the line, is if Babcock was less intrusive with the veteran leadership on the team, but more forceful and more intrusive with the younger players and the borderline players on the roster. And that is that's a big problem for me because I really I don't respect a coach who is going to treat players that differently based on you know, skill or seniority or anything like that, especially with this roster being such young roster and with so much of the future of this franchise being dependent on the development of the young players, Fantilli, Johnson, Marchenko, Yurichek, et cetera. If he's crossing the line with those kind of guys, that is completely unacceptable because that is super, super damaging potentially to the long-term future of the franchise, not just the short term. There's, if there's anything good that came out of this, it was the fact that it happened early for training camp even starts. You minimize, you've minimized the impact. Um, you know, you can argue that 
one of the things I'm really worried about is um, with keeping Yarmo and JD around is players in the team and potential other players outside of the team, whether you're trying to woo somebody for free agency or through a trade or, or whatever, that they're going to look at JD and Yarmo and say, nope, look what they did. We'll clear him with Babcock. Nope. But yep. mm-hmm. the fact that he had a minimized impact on the team as it stands right now, that's good. The other thing too, that I thought about was, you know, there's a good chance that whatever Babcock did wasn't, it wasn't bad enough to fire him with, uh, with cause. Um, and we all know that this organization would not fire Babcock if they had to pay out that money to him. Unfortunately, um, yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a silver lining that Babcock, you can say what you want about the guy, but he did resign um, instead of putting his foot down and saying, no, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm staying on this. You can't fire me. Um, so, you know, that could have been even more disastrous. So, you know, we move on. Um, I think that we still have to kind of, we want, we need to hold this organization accountable. And I hope the media asks some, asks some good questions. Uh, by the time a lot of people hear this, um, the pre- press conference will already have happened. Um, but, but I think, um, you know, moving on a clean slate heading into training camp, you know, is, is better than, than some of the alternatives. I wonder if Babcock wanted to get this resignation resolved before we got to Monday's scheduled media day. Cause I don't think he wanted to talk to the media about this directly. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but also if that's the sole reason for resigning, that's I've that dude, your NHL coach deal with it or at least no, before. I, I just think it, it matters as to the timing of the time of the re- retirement as opposed to, you know, a couple weeks in the training camp once the PA officially resolves their investigation or whatever. That's what I'm thinking. A few more things here before we wrap up. Um, so looking forward here. It's not a surprise that Pascal Vincent is the one that takes over. What was surprising to me is that he's not just the interim coach. They went ahead and gave him a new two-year deal. So basically what Babcock got in terms of term. Uh, so he, he's the official full-time head coach for now. Uh, a guy that was previously passed over twice uh, for the head coaching position, despite interviewing for it. So how do we feel about head coach Pascal Vincent Berkus? I'll, I'll be honest. I, I like people say he's a good coach. Uh, Cause he was in charge of, but he was in charge of like the power play, right? Was he power play or defense? Power play. Yeah. Okay. Like dude, our power play sucks. Like that was one of the fun things about watching the, Pro- the Traverse city tournament was watching us have a really good power play. And yes, I know we have like, some of the highest scoring prospects in their respective leagues and we're playing against non NHLers, but still like it was refreshing seeing a good blue jackets power play. Like we went seven for nine through the first two games. Uh, and like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be skeptical about Pascal Vincent until he proves me wrong. Like, I don't see how he's not a Brad Larson holdover. And I think you cannot have a Brad Larson holdover holdover with how the last two seasons have gone for this organization at least in terms of not in a rebuild anymore presumably trying to make the playoffs yep that's my concern too dale yeah i 100 percent understand what burkis is saying and i think it's completely fair and i do feel that way partially don't get me wrong um i actually 
I'm willing to give Vincent a chance. I'm obviously we have no choice at this point. <laughs> um, if you if you remember back to last season, he was acting head coach for two games. And in those games, his first move as acting head coach was to move Patrick Laney to the center. Um, but I remember going back and looking at the uh, the time, the ice distribution, the ice time distribution for that game. And it was it was pretty evident that he was not Brad Larson. Because um, I remember the first line had first line minutes. Second line had second line minutes. Fourth line had fourth line minutes. Um, and so that told me right away that He's obviously, with Larson gone, he's obviously coaching this team differently um, than Brad Larson would have. Because we saw all year how Brad Larson coached the team. And it was play the fourth line the most minutes, um, you know, stick Boone Jenner to 1C and, you know, refuse to do anything differently. Um, so by all by all reports, this guy is... is um, a good coach, whether he'll be a successful NHL coach, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. There was an article. Um, I don't remember reading the original article I, I, and forgive me if this is incorrect. I believe it was Emily Kaplan or she at least linked the article talking about how Pascal Vincent um, had a different approach to younger players than a lot of the older coaches that you see in the league. Um, so you know, this guy isn't a retread. He maybe he probably has some newer views on things than somebody like Babcock or Torts or or whoever the, all the other older guys in the league are. So, um, I think you're going to see something different than than Larson. Um, whether he's a good enough X's or O's coach to to make a big difference, you know, we we won't know. You know, for for a little ways down the road. Yeah, I, he is a coach that comes in with a great reputation. He's been long seen around the league as a future NHL head coach. Uh, I believe he interviewed for the Calgary position this offseason as well. Um, and the, my issue with now is that he is still though enough of an unknown quantity. And that's not something I want for this roster at this point. Because our window, if not this year, it needs to be opening next season. And so this can't afford to be a lost season, a figuring it out season. This needs to be a step forward season. The time, the time that I would have wanted to hire Pascal Vincent was two years ago when he was interviewed the first time. And I, I forget when it was, it may have been uh, last season when he took over temporarily. There was some quote from Yarmo, I think uh, that was to the effect of if Vincent had been able to interview in person in 2021, that he probably would have gotten the job. But because his interviews were over Zoom only because of the you know border restrictions and such, you know they went with Larson because he was you know more of the known entity. Um, but two years ago would have been perfect because there it's like. Which if you, can I also say yeah. if that's the case is also a black mark on this front office. That isn't a helpful quote, Yarmo. Correct. Yeah, does not reflect well on their judgment. You trust your gut, you know. And but you know if you'd been hired two years ago and wasn't right or wasn't the right time for him to be NHL head coach, then like, fine. He's a placeholder while the roster is being rebuilt. Um, but if he works out, then he can be a John Cooper or a Jedder Bednar, a guy with success at the lower levels who comes in. There's some growing pains, but he grows with the team into a very good coach for a very good roster. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he is more accomplished than Brad Larson. Uh, he did well in the AHL uh, with Manitoba uh, he was also a successful coach in the queue 
Um, so yeah, he's got that experience working with the younger players. I think he's a good developmental coach. I certainly hope that he can be better than Brad Larson. Uh, but I just feel like we went through this two years ago. We had an assistant who coached an awful power play. It was promoted to the head job and we had our doubts and he turned out to, yeah, not be worth it. So and again, I hope Vincent's different, but it's like, how many times can you do the same thing, follow the same process and expect different results? It's the process that you just can't help but question at this point. There's, we, I've lost all trust in how this franchise is going through all this. Frankly, I, my biggest thing about this is I, I cannot believe Yarmo Kicklinen was allowed to make that decision right away. Where I, I realize... This has been said many times. I realize that the McConnell family is is very off hands when it comes to leadership. This is this is a fire drill. This is something where ownership, as soon as this happened, ownership should have been on the phone and saying, you know what, we're not making any decisions right now. Slap the interim tag on Vincent, and we need to have some conversations and we need to figure out where to go from here. But you have Yarmo just immediately able to give Vincent a two-year extension, um, which has a lot of people thinking that uh, Yarmo and JD's jobs are completely safe at the moment. Um, you know, it would be it would it would make me feel a whole lot better if they had said interim head coach will reevaluate, we'll get twenty games into the season, we'll see how it's going, um, and kind of go from there. But this whole thing is just it just reeks of. Um, ownership's absence, um, not a lot of care in what's going on, um, no focus on, you know, what are the ramifications of this situation um, up and down, all the way down to the roster, to other parts of the league. Um, it just, it leaves a lot more questions than it does answers. I'm just, I'm frustrated, annoyed, and exhausted with this whole situation. Like, how is this allowed to happen? Who, what was, how was this thought process of decisions made and how is the person who made that thought process of decisions still employed with this franchise mm -hmm. yeah where where is the accountability going to come from at the very highest level what what metrics are they using to measure the success for this franchise and is it just that um like i saw someone point out i think on twitter like oh well hey as long as we're still selling out the arena for our last place team like no need to make any changes right like uh, and, and I think they, they need to hold it to a higher standard than that, especially, and not even just for performance on the ice, but when you're doing things that are leading to scandal off the ice and negative attention for the franchise, uh, you're, you're the laughing stock of the league at this point. And that's, that's going to take its toll eventually. you got to act on that before it gets too late. Um, all right, before we wrap up though, league. There is a team in this league that is playing in a college arena <laughs> that seats 3,500 people. They are not the most embarrassing franchise in this league today. Oh, God. How? Oh, that is brutal. Yeah, you are not wrong. How? Oh. All right. Well, let, let's end with a quick little palate cleanser here. I said I wanted to talk about hockey today. Uh, the Traverse City Prospects Tournament happened this weekend. The Jackets went up there with a stacked lineup full of first-round picks, including Adam Fantilli. Burkus, I know you watched most of the games. Uh, first, who was the who was the most outstanding player for the Jackets? Uh, and was it anyone besides Fantilli, or was it just Fantilli? If you're asking for most outstanding, it's Fantilli. Sure. Uh, his first goal was an absolute uh, against Detroit. Was a beauty. 
even though we only got seven minutes of it, seeing him and Matthew Nyes go back and forth in a Toronto game was so fun. Uh, he he looked like a man among boys. And also reports are coming out from the camp that he like took on a leadership role there, which is a very good yeah. sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I was also impressed by uh, James Malatesta. Uh, I'm to be honest, not super in tune with our prospects outside of like Fantilli, Juracek, and Johnson. If you want us to still consider him a prospect, those type of guys, like super high end guys. But Malatesta looked really good, uh, and Jordan Dumas, uh, who who kind of flew on my got onto my radar late last season, also looked really good. Um, so yeah, uh, it was like it's a good. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that those are like our very high end prospects. And then when we sat them for the last game, it was noticeably different. But like, it was very noticeably different between the uh, the second game and the third game when uh, those four and Eurocheck sat out. Uh, like, I, I was very impressed by all of the big the big four, if you will. Dale, is there anything that stood out to you in the games that you watched? Yeah, you know, I watched the first two games. Um, and really what stood out to me was obviously Fantilli. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, that's the obvious answer. Dume really stood out to me. Um, I, I tried to watch him a lot because trying to understand kind of why some people don't see a good player in him or at least uh, a potential good player in the NHL. Um, and this isn't a fair comparison because it, there's no – there's no way to say that he's going to be, um, you know, an elite player in the, in the NHL by any means. But a comparison that came to mind is Johnny Gaudreau when watching Dumais because number one, he's not flashy. Um, he doesn't beat people with his with his feet. Uh, he's not a speedster. He's just a guy that's in the right place all the time, and it's his positioning, it's his vision. And it's his it's his uh, hockey sense that that get him to score points. He had eight points in the first two games, more than anybody else. Um, I'd say averaging four points a game is is pretty good. Um, but he is he's a guy to look out for. It's a travesty that he has to go back to the queue, um, but he he may set records there. I mean he's he's that good. So you know we'll see what what it brings. But other guys too. I mean the whole team. Um, Sfozo looked good, even though he didn't put up a lot of points. Yerichek was impressive. That goal, that one goal, the Fantilli passed to Yerichek, and he just dangles between two guys um, and scores a it's goal. It's like that, that one clip from a couple years back of Zidane Chara coming in yes. and geeking about yes. people. It was like that, like, okay, I knew this guy was, like, good and had a good shot. I did not expect that out of him. Yes. Hunter McCown, um, he's a guy who looked looked decent. Um, I think he had a goal. Um, you know, Luca Delbel Blues was a guy that was a little disappointing for me. He didn't stand out. Um, I was kind of hoping that he would stand out a little bit. Um, part of the reason he probably didn't get as much ice time with um, kind of the way that the lines were were shaking out there. And we'll see him a lot in Cleveland. Um, so it could have just been, you know, the the front office wanting to get a good look at some of these guys that aren't going to be playing close. Um, but overall, it was it was a fun tournament. We were, you know. Uh, Burkus and I were going back and forth um, on Saturday. That game was just so much fun to watch. There were two fights, um, just so many goals. It was just a, it was a blast. It was a nice primer for, for the season. Yeah, the other player I'll mention from what little bit I saw, and I know that he 
didn't do much on the scoreboard until the Sunday's game. Um, but Dmitry Voronkov, I, I feel like he will need some time in Cleveland to acclimate to the North American game. But holy cow, that is a big dude. I mean, that, that is NHL size. That is going to be really nice. If he shows up to the roster in you know late November, early December, uh, I think he could be a real impact player there in the bottom sixth. Uh, just that size, like that's that's going to make an impact at the NHL for sure. Yeah, there was that one picture that was floating around, I believe it was on Wednesday, where he was standing next to uh, um, um, Knazko and uh, Fantilli. And those mm-hmm. guys are like 6'1", 6'2", you know, 190, 195, and they looked small next to him. Yeah. He's he's big. He's he's not just tall, he's wide. He's a big boy. Yeah, he's <laughs> thick. He's thick. <laughs> All right. Any other final thoughts, guys? Yeah, I'll just say I'm, you know, this Babcock stuff is going to hang over the team for a while, and it's unfortunate. It stinks. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to training camp, camp this week. Looking forward to hearing from Vincent. Um, still has an opportunity to to be a decent team, um, not a playoff team, um, but I'm ready to get some hockey going, get, get some of this Babcock stuff behind us at least, kind of. Um, and I think training camp opens on Thursday. Yeah. Burgers? I'm going to have to be vague with this, but just just know that we have a couple of really exciting things coming in the pipeline <laughs> in these next couple of weeks that I'm really excited for. Uh, so basically, just stay tuned uh, to the site. It's going to all be plugged in the outro. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're looking, for, looking forward to moving past this and moving on to the actual season at training camp and whatnot. That's right. Yeah, we'll have obviously full training camp, training camp coverage as it goes along, coverage of all the preseason games. I've got tickets to the Pittsburgh game on Sunday. I'm looking forward to that. I'll have, I'm sure, stuff to talk about on the pod next week about that game. Uh, so, yeah, go to Jackets Cannon for all of our written content and to talk about the team with fellow Jackets fans. If you're not already signed up, go ahead and sign up today for that. Uh, you know, you can sign up for free to comment. Uh, also, launching on Monday, forhockeyfans.com. This is the new homepage for our parent network. We're formally launching on Monday. We've got sites representing all of the teams in the league, plus the Ice Garden for women's hockey. Lots of great coverage, lots of great people that uh, I'm sure, you know, sites and writers that you're familiar with from across uh, our old network. So we're very happy for this new venture to be launched. And there's going to be lots of things coming down the pike this season, lots of collaborations and things like that. And we are really looking forward to being part of that. So be sure to check out for hockeyfans.com as well. They're going to have some content up there on Monday from all across the league. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. Welcome back to the pod. Uh, I wish we had something happier to talk about this week than that, but uh, uh, hopefully here in training camp, there'll be more happy stories to talk about and the season can have uh, some positives to it and not just this uh, horrible, horrible beginning, but thank you for listening and we will catch you next time. For more content from the canon, check out jacketscanon.com or follow us on Twitter at CBJCanon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Angela's new album, Turn Me Loose, is out now. Go to angelapurley.com for more music and show dates.